Well, what I'm going to do is uh, have a prayer and then go through three Bible verses, and then the rest of it I have is on PowerPoint. And uh, we also have this on the Internet, so you can get up and download it off the Internet, and I'll show you the website and everything to get it. So you want to just copy down the key text probably from when we do this. So uh, the theme here is planning your life for success. Uh, if you don't plan your life, you just exist through it. That's the general thing that I talk about. So let's have a prayer and then we'll start right in. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the privilege we have of knowing you and we thank you for the opportunity to look at your word, especially as it relates to money management. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, not so much this one, but the next two, we're going to really get into real practical stuff about money. But I'm going to ask you, have you ever thought, is it appropriate to talk about money in church or on Sabbath? Would you like to, for me to tell you why I think it is appropriate? In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, probably five or six in each one of the Testaments, you have uh, people who lost their life, probably their eternal life, because of their attitude toward money and possessions. Isn't that interesting? And uh, should we do a little exercise and see if we can name some of them? Oh, yes, Achan. Yeah, that's right. Achan in the Old Testament. Yeah. Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah. Anyone else? Judas. There's lots more. Oh, yeah. Well, he would have been, except he changed his life. The rich young ruler is a good example. Uh, what about Lot's wife who got turned into a pillar of salt because she thought the things of this earth were more important than heaven? You know, yeah. Hezekiah nearly lost his life because of showing the Babylonians all of his wealth. You remember that? That's interesting also. So anyway, let's, uh, if you want to jot down a couple of verses, we're just going to look at, at two to, or three to start with here. The first one is uh, in the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is not a book about right and wrong. It's about wisdom and foolishness. So this is a book of wisdom. It's the smartest guy who ever lived under inspiration. So you know you have some stuff here that's very valuable. Proverbs 3. By the way, I should tell you that the Bible has more than 2,000 verses that deal with money and possessions and our attitude toward them. That's more than any other subject in the Bible, more than sin or salvation or baptism or second coming or anything else. So this is an important topic to God. So we're going to look at Proverbs 3 and starting with verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. By the way, I know you have probably different versions. I have the New King James Version. That's the one that I use for my study and speaking. It's just nearly like the King James, except it doesn't have, you know, thee and thou. It has you and he and so on. But anyway, it's very similar probably to what you have. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on or depend on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. Would that include the management of our money when it says in all your ways? See how important it is? And if he does, he'll direct your paths. So don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. And then verses 9 and 10 are the real key part. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now this is speaking to farmers, of course. And so he says, I'm going to bless your work. Now, I'm going to show you something else that's very interesting. We're going to go over to Matthew, and this is the Sermon on the Mount. Right in the middle of it is Matthew 6, and we're looking at verses 19 and 20. Do not store up treasures for yourself on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
then it says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, have, everybody here takes psychology the first year, right? Don't you have like a psychology class? Well, you know what man's basic needs are, food, clothing, shelter, you know, those kind of things. Well, notice what, what it says in verse 31. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. And then verse 33, that seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So you understand, don't worry about that stuff. Put God first and he'll take care of you. That doesn't mean you don't do anything. So uh, the pastor this morning spoke some about the, the resurrection of Lazarus. Let me tell you something interesting. God does not do for us what we can do for ourselves. He does for us what we can't do for ourselves. So we cooperate with him by doing what we can do. For example, in the story, Jesus first said, where have you laid him? You think he already knew where he was? Sure, but he wanted them to tell him. Then he said, roll away the stone. Think he could have rolled away the stone? Sure, just had some angels do it. But he didn't do what they could do for themselves. And then when he came out, which would have been very interesting because he apparently just levitated, like just moving along a foot above the ground. Why, why couldn't he walk? He's all wrapped up from head to toe. He couldn't see where he's going even. Came out on the power of God. And then they, Jesus said, loose him and let him go. In other words, take all this stuff off of him. So he had them do three different things. Show him, move the stone, and take off the grave clothes. Very interesting. So what I'm going to show you today is just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you don't work. God's not going to take care of you, but he'll provide for you you know, a job and so on. Those are things that I think are interesting. So now we're going to go over to 1 John, which is the epistle, way over near Revelation. 1 John, and uh, this is chapter 2. If you studied the adult Sabbath school quarterly, last quarter we studied the epistles of John. So this is the first one. Come in. Uh, we're going to look at uh, 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, the next verse is interesting. It says, and the world is passing away, and the lusts of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So, you guys have heard the term green, where, you know, people are wanting to get back into ecology and, you know, save the planet and all that. Up where I live in Maryland, we have trash collection twice a week. On Wednesday, they just regular trash is put out, you know, banana peelings, whatever you have, just junk. But on Friday, they do uh, recycling, and that's uh, newspapers and plastic and cans and those kinds of things. I believe in ecology, but listen, we're not going to save the planet. Did you hear that? We're not going to save the planet because the Bible says the world is passing away. It's not going to. It's in the process of passing away. And that's very interesting. But if we love God and follow him, he says, those people will abide forever. Okay, we're going to go quickly to the PowerPoint. And I'm going to show you, we have a website, and this is it. And it's just, this is our URL, uh, www.adventiststewardship.org. And in the, I'm going to show you what the homepage looks like so you'll know when you find it. .com is the GC website and .org is the NAD website. So make sure you have the org. See it down here on the bottom? And when you look there, I'm not actually on the internet. I just have this on a PowerPoint slide. I'm going to tell you that if you go to stewardship resources, there's like 30, maybe 40 PowerPoint programs there, including the ones I'm showing you today. 
And uh, we have a new resource now called Faith and Finance. Have some of you seen this? They're in the Adventist Book Center. Um, this, is, this is really worth your weight in gold. It's incredible. It's only $12.99. It's like a $25 book, but we're just printing it and selling it for cost. And anyway, we, in addition, we have it all in Spanish now, Faith Finances, and we also have a leader's guide that if you buy the leader's guide inside, it has the PowerPoints for the whole thing. But these are also on the Internet, so you can download them from the Internet and uh, get them there. But anyway, you would find that under Stewardship Resources, so you know you can just click on that and go to it and scroll down to where you find the, the presentations. Okay? Something interesting. Uh, I, don't, I know it doesn't happen here, but when I was... Uh, well, maybe I should introduce myself because they didn't earlier. Hello. Uh, I graduated from theology here at Southern and uh, entered ministry in the Southern Union. And then uh, Kathy and I, my wife and I, took a study leave, and we went to, uh, well, first of all, we went to se seminary of a Master's of Divinity from Andrews. And then later, after being in ministry for a while, we went to Loma Linda, and I got a Master's in Public Health, because I believe in the Adventist health message. It doesn't save us. You can't eat your way into heaven, right? Listen carefully, though. You could eat your way out of heaven. You believe that's true? It is true. By the way, the most interesting thing is, listen carefully to what I'm going to tell you. The current issue of U.S. News and World Report is a special October issue, and it's about retirement on the cover, mostly white with some red or black writing on it. Inside it, there's a, there's a two-page article, How to Live to Be 100, and it says 10 steps to follow. One of the steps is live like a Seventh-day Adventist. Wow in those words. I subscribe to these news magazines and I have that one on my desk at the office and it's very interesting stuff. So it's important that we understand that. And then later I went to law school at Georgia State University in Atlanta and became an attorney and I can practice law in Georgia and Tennessee uh, with current licenses in those areas. And I think the most interesting thing for what I'm going to tell you guys this afternoon is a few years ago I took eight graduate classes from City University and got a graduate certificate in personal financial planning. So I teach money management all the time. And uh, by the grace of Almighty God, I practice what I preach. And I'm going to show you something incredible in just a minute. You'll be able to see it. But uh, what, I was, what I told you all that for is because in law school, they have recruiters come from the big law firms in Atlanta. And the big idea is to try to get a job with the firm that pays the most money. But a Christian doesn't have that same perspective. We have three things that we think about, and that's providing for our families, helping others, and helping advance the cause of God. Because we've got inside information. You know what it is? Someday soon, everything on this earth is going to get burned up, and that will reduce its value considerably, as you can imagine. So the idea is what we want to do is to be ready for heaven and to advance the kingdom of God. Isn't that true? So we'll be able to see that. The, go the love of money, the desire for wealth, is the golden chain that binds people to Satan. Isn't that interesting? To see. This is Steps to Christ, page 44. The plunge in stocks recently and real estate has reduced Americans' net worth by an astounding $14 trillion since 2007, last 18 months, about 121000 per household. If you haven't lost that much, then somebody else lost a lot more. Do you understand? Another interesting thing is that research shows that the typical American has so little set aside for retirement that meeting their basic needs will be a struggle. This is really, really interesting. 
recently I got a certification as a certified senior advisor, which I'm going to tell you why I did that. In a year and a half from right now, the great huge bulk of people in America called the baby boomers will reach full retirement age. In 2011, listen carefully, there will be 10,000 people in America reaching full retirement age every day of the week. Isn't that incredible? Now, what I'm going to tell you is those people, many of them, because of this horrendous financial crisis that we're in, caused by a few greedy people in Wall Street, that's the basic bottom line, and of course, many of us who were in debt suffered as a result, but I'm just going to tell you something very interesting. Many people are not ready for retirement and want to keep their job and keep on working because they could not afford to retire. This is really interesting stuff. Okay, so what we're going to talk about is planning. I mentioned this last night. The way that you manage your money has a great deal to do with your personal happiness, your stress level, the quality of your family life, the stability of your marriage, and success in your career. These are amazing things. Now, it wouldn't take a genius to figure out that the devil would like to see every one of those areas of your life messed up. And pretty much he's been successful at this, as you know. So what we're going to look at are some things that are very, very valuable. This is what I call planning for the cycle of life. And this is just something you would see from a basic civics book, but I'll just show it to you. You have to think about your education and you plan your life right here. Then you have to decide whether you're going to save some or you're going to borrow, you know, or live on what you have, what your spending decisions will be like, risk management. Let me just tell you something interesting. In almost every state in the United States, it is required that you have liability insurance if you drive an automobile. Isn't it true? Why? Because if you have an accident, chances are somebody or some stuff are going to get hurt really bad. And if it's your responsibility, it could wipe you out economically if you did not have liability insurance. You understand? Same thing is true of housing insurance. Ellen White, even in the Spirit of Prophecy, encouraged people to have casualty insurance on their property because for most people, most average American, their single greatest investment is what? Their house. If it burns down, they are out of business unless they have insurance. This is pretty interesting. You understand how valuable that is. Then we're, so this is what you call risk management, uh, investing, where will you invest, and then retirement and estate planning. Listen carefully to what I'm going to tell you now. This is very valuable. Whether or not you think you feel like that now, probably you don't. Someday you will not be able to function as you do now physically or mentally, and so you have to prepare for that time. You see what I'm saying? We don't have this great focus on retirement so much as we're just planned for when we cannot work. There's another interesting thing. Whether you're a Christian or not, it would probably be my guess that all of you have committed your life to Christ. Jesus is the only hope, so I would hope that that would happen for everybody. I will just tell you something interesting. Whether you're a Christian or not, you're not taking anything with you. Is it true? So you have to make some kind of a plan to dissolve or disperse the property that you've accumulated while you're here that God's entrusted to you. And that's why you have Christian estate planning. And we're going to talk about that later. Now, I have found something that I really want to share with you that's extremely valuable. And that is, this is stuff that's really, really interesting. Education is valuable. I am not the kind of person that does seminars on wealth creation. 
I believe, though, that God wants us to prosper and to have an abundant life. Does everybody understand that? There's a difference. What I want you to understand, though, is education is the key to that. Now, you don't have to go to college, but if you don't go to college, welcome to $33,000 a year for the rest of your life living in a used mobile home and working at McDonald's. Do you understand? Education is a struggle, but get an education. I mean, I could tell you stories. Believe it or not, I worked hard when I was here. Kathy and I, when we were at the seminary, we sold blood. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I know what it's like to be poor. What I can just tell you is the struggle is worth it. The education is extremely valuable. So here you have, these are 2004 statistics. This is the latest we have on this topic. But anyway, if you just get a job when you can, you're going to make about a million dollars in the course of your life. If you get, uh, graduate from college, you're going to double that, 2.2 million. If you get a professional degree, it can be, you know, we're talking here like a, a MBA or a, a, a physical therapist or something like that, you know, like a year or so beyond college. You can bump that up to $4 million. Now, I'm going to show you something really, really valuable that you'll know. Studies show that the majority of college students or graduates end up working in a field that has nothing to do with the degree that they received. Now, this is incredible when you think that if you went to Southern for four years, it's $100,000 that you just spent or you just borrowed, and you can't get a job in the field you just studied. This is crazy. So I'm going to show you something very valuable. And if you don't take any notes other than this the whole afternoon, I want you to jot down that right there. Crown Ministries, which is a Christian uh, organization, and they only teach biblical principles of money management, have a website called www.crown.org, and they have a self-administered aptitude test, and you look for the thing is called Career Direct. Career Direct. Every academy student should definitely take this battery of tests. You can get the CDs and load it on your computer, and it takes you, listen, this is not a 10-minute exercise. It will take you about four hours to take all these tests. But since you have the thing on your computer, once you've done, you hit enter and enter it in. And it will say, based on what you just told us, you would do good in the humanities or in science or math or engineering or whatever. You understand? It tells you what your interests and your aptitudes are. In addition to that, it says, here's the majors you could take for your interest field. And if you did that, here's the kind of job you could get. And here's the, how many jobs are available. It's incredible. So I'm just going to tell you about myself because I don't know about yourself. I have two children, son Andrew and our daughter Melissa. We had them take this test because we didn't, back when their, our kids were in school, it was only, only 15000 a year. But we didn't want to spend 60000 which is like three brand new Honda Accords, you understand, and then them not get a job in that field. And so what we did is we had them take these tests. Guess they both scored high in humanities, which is like English, history, communications, that kind of thing. And so Andrew, our son, took English and history, a double major, and that was perfect for going on to law school, and he's an attorney today. And I can tell you, our daughter Melissa scored also high in the areas. And I think the reason is because my wife read to them almost constantly from the time they were born to when they went off to school. And I'm telling you, she read hundreds of books. For example, she read the entire Bible story, My Bible Friends, Little House on the Prairie. She read the entire, uh, what's this children's encyclopedia called? There's a little, anyway, it's a completely children's encyclopedia, every book all kinds of books. And so 
it just happens that today is my son's birthday. Guess what his sister got him for his birthday? A gift certificate for Borders so he can buy something. They love kit. They just love books. So I'm going to tell you, uh, Melissa, our daughter, she's in Houston, Texas today. She's speaking on behalf of Liberty Magazine because she has the job at the General Conference as the associate editor of Liberty Magazine. What she took in school was English and communications, which is perfect for that job. Do you understand? So you get career direct, then you won't wonder, well, what am I going to be when I grow up? You'll know what your major is. Now, I'm going to show you a couple of other things that are valuable. Here's what we know where there's going to be jobs available in the future. This is not rocket science. People know what's going to be available. For example, computer technology. You have, if you have an interest in that, get involved in that. Because I'm talking about people making very, very good livings, especially in the D.C. area where I am. I mean, the people work for the government, other places, banks, health uh, care and so on. Here's another one, health care. And I notice on the campus that you guys are building a new nursing school here. Smart idea. There's something like 400,000 shortage of, of registered nurses in America to take nursing. If you've got an aptitude for it, you're going to have a job. You understand how important that is? This is valuable stuff. Business services, social, sales and retailing, hospitality, teachers and financial services. Uh, you know, becoming a certified financial planner or getting an MPA, that kind of thing. Depending on what your interests are, what the test tells you to take, then you know there's lots of jobs available for that. Now, here's something amazing. Let me start at the top and just go down through it. I took this out of the Washington Post that I subscribe to. I live in Washington, D.C. area. Average income for a full-time worker in America last year, that's including everybody who's working, is 31600 for a whole year. Uh, but if you're a professional person, like I just showed you earlier, you'd make about 100000 a year. So this professional person, if he worked for 40 years, would make $4 million in his lifetime as a professional. You get that? Now, last year, while banks were failing on Wall Street, many of the executives got $40 million as an annual bonus for a banker on Wall Street. This is one bonus is 10 times the lifetime income of a professional person given in one year. That is absolute madness. I want to show you something interesting. Uh, I don't want to really get too much into this because it makes me very, very upset. But you have people who were supposed to be watching after us that were crooks and frauds. Here's uh, agents take a Bear Stearns executive into custody. And another one that's really, really bad. You guys remember seeing this guy. He's in the federal prison right now. Bernard Madoff with the United States Marshal taking him to federal prison. You know what happened to this guy? The real interesting thing is that he was an investor. He'd even been the president of the New York Stock Exchange and is defrauding people. Thinking, you know what the pyramid scheme is, where you bring a lot of money in and pay a little bit on the bottom side. At any rate, he had 5,000 customers who trusted him. Many of them were schools and universities and, and uh, pension funds and so on. He lost $65 billion. The money is gone. Very, and, and they're going to, they may get back several million, not billions, selling off his lush homes. You've seen them on TV where they're trying to sell his houses. It's pretty incredible. Now, the reason I'm telling you that, this is a sign of the end. When people make these exorbitant salaries. Uh, this is from Christ Object Lessons. Uh, I forget the page because I just took it out because uh, I didn't have enough room there. But you guys have the CD-ROM on your laptop computers, Ellen White CD-ROM. It has the Bible on it and so on. When I first saw that, it was many years ago, I paid $150 for it. 
You can buy it at the ABC for $19. It has all the spirit of prophecy, all the Bible on it, and so on. Listen, this would be worth selling something to get. It's very, very valuable. Any word there or any three words, you can type them in and this will come up. I would recommend it highly that you get one. I mean, I could demonstrate, I have it on my laptop here. But anyway, Ellen White says, the scriptures describe the condition of the world just before the second coming, Christ's second coming. James the apostle pictures the greed and oppression that will prevail. Now, why does somebody need $40 million as a bonus for one year when his company is failing? Do you understand? This is what's been happening, very incredible. Ellen White says, so then the Bible says, go to now, you rich men. You've heaped up treasure together for the last days. And then this is from James, the fifth chapter. She says, this is a picture of what exists today. Men are piling up colossal fortunes while the cries of starving humanity are coming up before God. And then uh, Sebastian mentioned this last night in his presentation, 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 2. The New King James Version says, in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will become lovers of themselves or selfish and lovers of money. Would that describe our day? This is incredible when you think about it, really. So I'm going to show you this one, the stages of life. And this one is just basic uh, uh, civic stuff, but I'll just show it to you. First of all, you have the laying the foundation, getting your education, accumulating your assets, preserving your assets, and then distributing your assets because you're not going to take it with you. So I'll show it to you in this way. This one is a little easier to see. The first one talks about what I would call the learning years. That's like birth to age 30 when you're getting your education. The middle part here is the earning years. Guess what people are doing right here in this section of your life? They're working and they're paying off student loans and they're buying their house and buying their cars and educating their children. Believe it or not, this is a very stressful period of life, and it's in this middle section right here when most divorces occur. And remember that 80% of people who divorce point to financial difficulties as one of the major risk factors. I'm going to tell you something interesting. In the next session, if you choose to come to it, I'm going to talk to you about student loans, and I want to tell you this right now. If you get interested romantically in someone, when you get really serious, ask them what their debt load is. Because if you marry that person, you just inherited the debt. That's very serious stuff. You believe I'm telling you the truth about it? It is true. And I'll tell you a whole lot about student loans next session. But this is important right here. And then the last part is your returning years, 60 until laid to rest. I just entered this part over here. So you can see this part's behind me. But the interesting part is, since I have a good education and I've worked hard, this part is going to be much more enjoyable. This is very good stuff, I'm telling you. It's very, very valuable to you to know. Now, here's one interesting. You either live within your income or your creditors will eat you alive. Do not think you are poor, even if you are. If you think you're poor, visit Haiti or India and you'll know what poor is. Do you understand what I'm talking about? If you have an automobile in any condition, you're better off than you're in the top 5% of people around the world as far as what you own and what your assets are. To me, it's very amazing to see that. So I found this interesting statement. He who rides a tiger cannot dismount. So from a financial perspective, that tiger is debt. Debt and its resulting bankruptcy have drastically changed the American financial picture.
I was giving this uh, seminar or one similar to it in Raleigh, North Carolina, and a lady who had just retired after 40 years at Duke Medical Center as a registered nurse said, I think I remember a uh, limerick that I learned in high school that goes along with this, he who rides a tiger cannot dismount. So she gave it to me, and it says this, there was once a lady from Niger who smiled as she rode on a tiger. They returned from the ride with the lady inside and the smile on the face of the tiger. You get the idea? Debt is a tiger. So I'm going to tell you something, and, and I'm going to talk more about it and how to get out of debt and so on in the next session. But this is the cover of the Faith and Finance book, and the PowerPoints for it, as I mentioned to you, are on the website. So the Bible says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Why do you think God asked us to put him first? Anybody know? Yeah, that's a good idea. To recognize him as an owner and so on and to stay focused. Anybody else? It's not just, as we say in the law, arbitrary and capricious, you know, because I'm God and I said so. That's not, and God doesn't need the money, does he? Why? Anybody know why he asked to put him first? The bottom line answer is God wants to bless the rest. If you put God last, there's nothing left to bless. You get the idea? Pretty interesting. He says, if you do that, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. We just read that. This is actually Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 when you see it there. Jesus said that he's come that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Now, I don't know if you guys, in, when you get out in the workaday world, you're frequently contacted by friends who want to tell you about a new plan to get rich. This happens a lot. And by the way, it happens in Adventist churches in the winter time. You believe it happens in Adventist churches? It does. And the reason it happens in the winter is coming about December 21, the sun will set in College Dale about 10 minutes to 5. Does anybody go to bed at that time? Unless you're a night worker or something, you wouldn't typically. You understand? So after Vespers, uh, somebody will say, this is, you know, a typical adult Sabbath church somewhere. They'll say, why don't you guys come over to our house for some popcorn or pizza or something? We've got this real opportunity to tell you about. By the way, most of the time when people tell you about get-rich-quick schemes, they believe sincerely they are doing you a favor. They really do. But I'm going to tell you, churches have been split over this. Pastors have had to leave the ministry over it when getting their churches involved in this goofiness. So I'm going to show you how to identify a get-rich-quick scheme. It's got four elements. I'm going to put them all up here at one time, and you can see them. Almost all get-rich-quick schemes have this in it. Remember what the Bible says? I'm going to back up just so you can see it again. Uh, we're going to, I'll put these back up there so you can see it. But here it is. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. So this is Paul talking to Timothy. So here they are again. The first one is there's a promise of high returns. You're going to get wealthy. If we had time, I could tell you about all kinds of amazing stories of people that got really, really into awful stuff. The second one is something new that you don't really understand. There's a little bit of mystery about this, you know. And then the second one, you have to risk money that you can't afford to lose. They're almost always that way. And then the next one is this. These people who are your friends tell you on Saturday night, and they say, if you have till Monday to make your decision, if you don't decide, we're going to let someone else be in on the ground floor with us. You understand? But if you see those four things, always know, never get near it. 
People lose lots of money in those things. Okay. Uh, then I told you about we have inside information that everything's going to get burned up. That's is 2 Peter 3.10. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will melt, pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So I'm going to show you now, and we can get these in in the next, next eight minutes. I'm going to show you quickly seven principles I've learned from the Bible about money management. The first one is that God is the owner of everything. By the way, the Bible starts out, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Mm -hmm. Isn't that true? So if God's the creator, what am I? I'm just a creature. If he's the creator, he's the owner, so what am I? I'm only going to be a manager. I will never own the stuff. I have to give an account to God of how I use my stuff. So I'm going to show you now, this, don't laugh when you see this, I'm going to show you a picture of me that was taken 50 years ago. And uh, this is me right over here. And this is my father, he's passed away now, my older brother, and my little brother Richard, and my brother David. Uh, David is a builder and a real estate agent in Walla Walla, Washington. My brother Ken works for a cable company in Tulsa, Oklahoma. My brother Richard lives in Vina, California. The reason I show you this is that I was not born with a silver spoon in my mouth or in a nice suit and tie. Does everybody understand what I'm telling you? When I was growing up, for a six-year period, we had this old 51 Chevrolet pickup. That was our only transportation. So my mother, who's taking the picture with our little brownie camera, uh, film camera, before, long before digital, uh, my mother and my father, who was the driver, and my little brother would ride in the seat, the only seat. It wasn't a crew cab. The rest of us, the other three, rode in the back. This was our only car for six years. And the reason that we had this truck is because we used it to pull a 28-foot travel trailer. Listen carefully. We were not on vacation. That was our house for six years. Six people in a 28-foot travel trailer. So I understand what poor means. Does everybody understand? We used to stop and pick up black walnuts, put them in bags and take them to flea markets and sell them, or pick up pop bottles. You used to put pop in bottles, you know, pop cans, sell things. But I want to tell you something amazing. My father gave his heart to the Lord while we were young. He was working for the Southern Pacific Railroad, and he lost his job because he wouldn't work on Sabbath. So... Praise the Lord. What I got from my father was not wealth, but it was a Christian commitment. You understand? And I, I really appreciate that. Now, by the way, I, show, I, was in, I do a lot of camp meetings, and I was six camp meetings this summer, including Pennsylvania and Michigan and Carolina and so on. At any rate, the first one I did was in Ukraine. And when I showed this picture, everybody said, wow, you have a car. Isn't that incredible? 500 people at camp meeting, only six cars were there. Everybody took public transport. Some of them took four or five days to cross Russia on the train to come to camp meeting. The reason I'm telling you that is everything is relative. You understand? Don't think you're poor until you meet somebody who is really poor. That's the interesting part. Okay, so we understand that we brought nothing into the world. We're taking nothing out with us. Does the Bible say that? It does. It's uh, 1 Timothy 6, chapter, verses 6 and 7. While we live on this earth, we're simply managers of what God has entrusted to us. And so you understand Psalm 24. It talks about the earth is the Lord's, the world, and they that dwell therein. Everything belongs to God. So second one is God and his wisdom and counsel must have first place in your life. I was interested last night when the other presenters along with me talked to you about and even the speakers have done that, how important it is to put God's word first. Did you hear uh, Sebastian talk during Sabbath school time? 
we're talking about putting the Bible first and reading it and studying it and believing it. So that's why we're talking about God's wisdom and counsel. So I've just, I read these two to you already, Proverbs 3 and Matthew 6:33. but God sees our lives from the beginning to end. He knows what's best for us and, desi and de desires that we prosper. And this means that instead of just asking that simple question, what would Jesus do? We instead ask, what is his counsel to us in this area of our life? And the Bible's full of good counsel. By the way, I'm going to tell you something interesting. The Bible that I have here is called, it's the New King James Version, but it's called the Open Bible. And it's a very interesting one. It's, it's actually the fifth one I've had like this because I go through Bibles so much, they wear out. Uh, the last one I have is all taped together. It was a hardback edition, and I still use it sometimes because all my favorite places are marked, as you can imagine. So everybody should have one. But at the beginning of the open Bible, there's uh, two or three pages of background information. Who wrote the book? You know, why we know that's the person that wrote it. What was the age? Who was the king during that time? And what's the message from Christ and so on? Very, very interesting. Good concordances and so on. Uh, you should have a Bible that you just love and, and take with you everywhere you go. And this is the one of those kind of Bibles that you'd want to do that with. Okay, now the third one, your purpose in life is to glorify God. So I'm just going to ask you, remember that the interesting thing is unbelievers, they seek prosperity in order to uh, spend and accumulate. But the Christian seeks to prosper in order to provide for personal needs, the needs of other people, and to help advance God's cause. The Christian is God's ambassador. So you know this one, uh, let your light so shine before men that may see your good works and glorify your Father. Well, you know what 1 Corinthians 10.31 says? You've probably all memorized it. Whether therefore you eat or drink, or what's the next part? Whatever you do, that would include the management of our money then, wouldn't it? How should it be done? Do it all to the glory of God. Pretty interesting stuff. Okay, next one. Prosperity is having what you need when you need it. The Bible has not promised that if you become a Christian, you'll become wealthy by the world's standards. In fact, we're told some people will make some sacrifices for God. Isn't it true? Mm -hmm. Many people have done that. But things we know we're not promised wealth, but God has promised uh, several things. I'm just going to put three of them up here so you can see it. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Matthew 28.20, what does that say? That's part of the Great Commission. Go and teach all nations and baptize them. And then verse 28, verse 20 says, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So some of you might be a whole long ways away from home and parents and all that, but God says, I'll be with you wherever you go. And then the last one, by the way, I didn't tell you earlier, but when I showed you with a federal agent taking Bernie Madoff off to prison, federal prison, something interesting. Some of the 5,000 people that he defrauded have committed suicide. The reason is they have lost everything they've worked for their whole life. When you get my age, you're not going to be able to earn it back again before you die. You understand? And so they just despair because they don't have hope. So we have hope. Even if you've got bad problems, God says right here, Isaiah 26, 3, and everybody knows what this one says, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And that's what we want to understand. Okay, the next one is very, very valuable. And this is number five. I couldn't say it any simpler than this. Debt is bad. It has a, what is it, subject, verb, and an uh, object. You get the whole idea? It, debt is bad. So Jesus wants us to be light to the world and salt that gives savor to life. But too often in the management of money, the world salts us more than we salt it. Many Christians are deep in debt like people who don't know Christ. It's true. Very sad, but true. Now, the sixth one is very valuable. The tithe is the minimum testimony of our Christian commitment. 
Now, what I'm going to tell you here is, in spite of the fact that I'm an attorney and I have a graduate certificate in personal financial management and I've been teaching money management for many years, the very best thing I could tell you is put God first. Mm -hmm. The very best thing I could tell you. I'm going to tell you something interesting. The King's Herald's Quartet have a song they sing, If You Ever Needed the Lord Before. You know what the next part is? You sure do need him now. This would not be a time to bail out on God when the financial world is in such chaotic conditions. Mm -hmm. By the way, God is not in recession and they're not about to close down heaven. Does everybody understand that? God is in control and this is very valuable stuff that I'm telling you about. So I would tell you, put God first. He doesn't need the money, but he wants you to be in partnership with him. Okay, these are some of the principles that you can see. Nowhere in the Bible does God suggest that less than a tenth is his. And failure to recognize and practice the principle cuts us off from God's wisdom and blessing. I just want to tell you a real, real short story. I can do it in one minute. A lady called me. I was at the SoCal camp meeting in California. Central California Conference camp meeting is a big, big camp meeting. 12,000 people there on Sabbath. At any rate, when I got back to my office, my secretary, Lori, said, Elder Reed, this lady called every day last week while you were gone. And I told her you'd be back today. Would you please call her? When I called the lady, she started crying. And she said, we're so deep in debt, we don't know what to do. And I said, well, what's the situation? She says, we own $300,000 in debt. And I said, well, you know, what's the nature of the debt? I thought maybe they'd bought themselves a big fine house or something. She said, well, we've just returned from an attorney's office. He said, our only hope is to file for bankruptcy. But I don't think it's the Christian thing to do, do you? And I said, well, not if you can avoid it. What kind of debts do you have? Now, remember, these people are in their late 30s. They're just out of college and have their graduate degrees, but they borrowed during that whole time. But they started their own business. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but your employer, if you're working, take some of the money they take out of your check and send it to the government for your Social Security. Are you all aware of that? Well, at any rate, they had taken, started their own little business. They had taken the withholding out of their employees' checks, but instead of sending it to the government, they kept it and they spent it. In addition, they hadn't filed their own taxes for the last two years. And they're way behind. They owed like $150,000 in back taxes. In addition, they had student loans of about 100000 Both of them had student loans for college and graduate school of about 100000 So that's 250000 And the last 50000 was on credit cards. And I said to them, do you know or did your attorney tell you that if you file for bankruptcy, you can't discharge any taxes you owe the government and you can't discharge, listen carefully, any government-backed student loans? If you get a student loan that's government-backed, there's two ways to get out from under the obligation. You know what they are? Pay it off or die. This is very valuable. I'm going to talk to you about the student loans in the next section. But anyway, I want to tell you about this. This is very, very valuable stuff. Anyway, I said to the lady, have you folks been tithing? What did she say? No. no. She said, we're just too poor to tithe. And I said, how do you expect God to bless your family if you're robbing him every day? Do you understand? Put God first. Okay, well, I'm going to, we have one more, and this is the last one, and it's time to close. Everyone must give an account to God of his money management. When the Lord comes, the Bible says in Matthew 25, he asks everyone to give an account of the resources that he has given to him. And I believe that, by the way, you can understand we didn't get all the way through this, but where can you find it? On the internet, www.adventiststewardship.org. And look on stewardship resources, and the PowerPoints are all up there, and you can see the quotations and everything else. Let's have a prayer to close, and then you're welcome to stay for the next one or go to another one if you'd like. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your love to each of us. May we have your blessing and guidance in our lives. Help us to understand clearly the principles and then be able to practice them by your power. In Jesus' name, amen.
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.